Hello everybody, Bradley here, and in this episode of Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton, we got some potential insinuated smooching. Daphne's never had a kiss before. Will the Duke, will Simon be her first kiss in a garden at the Trowbridge Ball? Let's find out. So far in this deep dive, we have been covering two chapters per episode, but chapter nine was particularly long and particularly eventful. An absolute banger, iconic Bridgerton chapter out of the nine so far. So we're just going to stick to one chapter in this video, and that will be chapter nine of The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. As always, there will be adult content in these episodes. Do not play them around children or around yourself if you don't want to listen to an adult content-y podcast. There's also spoilers, but not for the book. I have not read past chapter nine. I cannot spoil this book, even if I wanted to. However, I have watched both seasons of the Netflix adaptation of the first book and the second book. So if you have not watched the show, I may or may not be spoiling the show as needed for my analysis of this novel. Also, the show on Netflix is absolutely wonderful. You should go watch it. It's amazing. And finally, you know the deal, but I'm going to mention it anyway. We have a Patreon. If you want early access to these episodes, feel free to check out that in the show notes below. Make sure to go leave the five-star reviews wherever you can leave them, wherever you are listening to this. It is the best way to get this podcast out to more people. And I, you know, there's other things. There's a Facebook group. There's Twitter. There's a whole bunch of things that you can find in the show notes. Just go check it out. Click on the links that, you that seem like they would be fun for you. But I think it's time now, though. I think it's time that we officially begin the deep dive into Chapter 9 of The Duke and I. Just a quick note for those listening who may notice that I don't have the same sound effects that I usually have. A couple of weeks ago, my computer needed to get some rejigging, some reworking done, and I accidentally deleted the sound files that give me the, the little jingles and stuff for this episode of the podcast. I will work to get those back shortly, but if this episode is jingle-free, that that's why. Nothing, nothing crazy. I don't hate jingles. They just accidentally got deleted because I'm an idiot. The first thing we need to talk about is the Tro Bridge Ball. Here we are. We're about 10 miles away from the city. Any anything can happen. Anytime you go 10 miles away from the city, the world is your oyster. How many romance series, novels, books, movies? How many of them kick off by someone going out of their comfort zone a little bit, out of the city, into the town? I just read a book called Book Lovers by Emily Henry. It was a good book. I, I don't know if I enjoy the enemies to lovers genre of books as much as some people, but I did really enjoy that one. And that's the whole point of that book. It's like, okay, two sisters, we're gonna go out of town. We're gonna go to this small little town. And who do we meet there? The enemy. And what does he become? The lover. And so this this whole getting out of town a little bit motif is very, very uh, well used. I also find it to work for me. I kind of like that this ball was outside of the normal London riffraff and that we were out in the country somewhere. It's only 10 miles. It's not really out in the country, but 10 miles on a horse is longer than 10 miles in like a car or something. We get a little bit of a mention that there's rich people traffic, which I laughed out loud. Anytime you insinuate that all of the rich people of the town are riding their carriages to a ball and that creates traffic on the roads, I imagine these roads are just covered in mud. They're absolutely caked. They're terrible. The horses can barely get across them, but they're the best the rich people can do. So they tolerate it. But I got a really good kick out of the fact that there was traffic on the way in with all the carriages. This ball, unlike every other ball in London, there's a garden that you can walk in. None of this, we, we get told in this book, in this chapter, none of this terracy bullshit nonsense, all right? It's most places you can only go out onto the terrace. But at the Trowbridge Brawl, she wants to be different. She wants to be eccentric. She wants her ball to stand out. So she uses her second home. I'm currently trying, I waitlisted for an apartment in North Vancouver that I was hoping to buy. And the price came out at $700,000. 
And then I keep getting emails from them being like, hey, you are interested in buying this apartment. Why don't you? As if the problem isn't that the apartment is $700,000. Anyways, I got a little bit salty that Lady Trowbridge had a second home that she could use just for balls. 10, mi 10 miles away. What do you need a home 10 miles away from your actual home for? Ridiculous. Daphne's at this ball, obviously, and there are some good and there's some bad. For Daphne, uh, the good and the bad kind of combined is that this plan with Simon is working. There are people that are interested in her. She is gaining suitors. She's getting callers. She's getting people wanting to dance with her. Her dance card has never been so full. There are people that want to, you know, court her, and that's working really well. That was the OG plan. But as we know with every plan like this, as I've discussed, they never go that way. And predictably, she's feeling not so hot about him. She's like, ah, man, all these other guys, they're, she said it exactly like this, they're mid. They're so mid. And then the Duke, he's sexy AF, all right? And I'm missing him. And so the, the structure of this chapter is very much, the plan is working and there are people that are interested in Daphne, but instead of feeling good, instead of helping her find that perfect husband, she actually just misses the Duke, which is obviously where this book is going. Obviously, this book is going where the where Daph where this chapter is going. We end with a smooch, everybody. Um, but yeah, you can see that the Duke and Daphne are being pushed closer and closer and closer together all the time. But it was nice to get into Daphne's head just a little bit. I'm still having some issues with perspective because in this chapter as well, we're jumping through Simon's head a little bit into Daphne's head a little bit. And I can't tell at which level of consciousness the, the narrator or the omniscience the narrator's at. So I'm still struggling a little bit with that. Um, but we bounce around in Daphne's head and in Simon's head a little bit. And she just kind of misses him, which I thought was kind of sweet. We also get told by Colin, who we'll talk about in a second, because Colin, fucking iconic chapter from Colin, hilarious shit. He tells us that the Duke has arrived at the ball and the Duke says, I came because I'm bored. Like, okay, man. Okay, dude. I am not a fool. I understand what's happening here. You were sitting at home and actually, to be fair, maybe he was bored or alternatively, he was missing Daphne and he was sitting there and he was like, ah, fuck, what have I done? I'm now stuck in this plan where I can't really marry Daphne. I really don't want to marry anybody, but I'm definitely... I want to, what did he want to do? Lick her toes earlier? He's sitting at home. He's like, man, I want to lick those toes. And I can't do that if I'm in London and she's at the Trowbridge Ball. If you're just listening to this episode, by the way, that was a thing Simon said in this book. I'm not making that up. Don't email me that I'm making that up. He said that in this book or something like that. Anyways, Daphne's at the Trowbridge Ball. He's in London. That's not, that is not where he wants to be. So he's going to go, not because he's bored, but because he also misses Daphne. And so we get this kind of, we get this, um, what's it called? Dynamic. That's the word I'm looking for. We get this dynamic where Daphne and Simon are both at the ball because they miss each other, but they can't really tell each other that they're both at the ball because they miss each other. And Daphne needed to be there anyway. And we actually get a little bit of insight into the way this whole social season is structured, the way their plan has to come off. Um, Simon can't go to every single event because if he goes to every single event he's a duke he's hot he's sexy and no one wants to talk to daphne so in order for this plan to work he actually needs to bow out of some events so the dudes can so the other guys the people they're trying to court or theoretically the people daphne's trying to get to court her um they will come and talk to her because they won't be intimidated by mr simon showing up so it's an in, a very complicated game of like chess happening here to get this all to work
we really seamlessly learn more about the Taunt and their gossiping and their socializing. And this part I think is really well written where we're trying to believe this is a society that will really love the Lady Whistledown paper and love the gossip and love the stories. And we can just believe that because we're told that. But little bits and pieces about how now that Daphne is super popular, everybody kind of wants to pretend like they knew it was going to happen. Like they saw the potential in her and they were just waiting for everybody else to see it. I thought it was really fascinating that there's a non insignificant amount of people that are kind of just mooching at the ball on this popularity. They want, they don't want to take any of the risk, the social risk of finding somebody that's kind of a diamond in the rough and putting their social weight behind them. But they want all of the social credit for saying that they, oh yeah, yeah, Daphne, we knew about her the whole time. And this is also, again, for me, a huge departure from the show where Daphne just kind of rocks up as hot as hell and the queen's like, yep, yep, diamond, please. And it's more like Eloise that plays the role of someone who not everybody wants, but then you get the, uh, the, the newspaper guy who's like, fuck, I'm super into Eloise, right? So Eloise kind of plays that role a little more and we haven't got to Eloise in the books yet, so we'll see. But for Daphne, this is a departure from the show where she doesn't have everyone just wanting her anyways. And I found this very seamless, this, is a, this was a very seamless way to write in the tons kind of gossipy socializing to help really round out how I feel about them with Lady Whistledown and those types of things. Before the Duke arrives, Colin is hanging out with Daphne and Colin is on fire. Really just every chapter, every word with the brothers, every word that Anthony says, every word that Benedict says, every word that Colin says, every word that Gregory says, I am howling with laughter. I am really enjoying the dynamic of each of the brothers. They're all pretty, they're all playing kind of a stereotype. They're all playing like a, a fun, you know, older brother, take the piss out of Daphne style relationship. That's kind of the character they're playing. Um, with Anthony being more of like the angry older brother, because he has to he has to get Daphne married and he doesn't want her to marry Simon. So he has a, he has more of a complex role. But Colin and Benedict just get to rock up and just absolutely have a laugh. And and boy, do they ever. They, they just have so much fun. There's even really clever little bits of writing where Daphne is worried that Colin's lying to her. So Colin has told her that the Duke has showed up and she's worried that he's playing a joke on her, playing a little trick. And so she kind of, she couldn't, she can't help herself but to say, is he really? And Colin's like, yeah, 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 he's here. And then she gets that momentary relief of not being tricked only for Colin to say like, I thought you were inching away from me. And she looks down and he goes like, made you look, which isn't the funniest joke ever, but it was a really clever bit of writing that Daphne anticipated the joke, but anticipated it wrong. And I just thought, you know, for Colin, that iconic moment, love that so much. Most of the banter between the Duke and Daphne is, is pretty similar to the banter we've had so far. So I don't need to go too in depth into it. A lot of like playfully joking each other and a lot of playfully touching each other and a lot of kind of, you know, imagining like, oh man, he's holding my hand. I really wish that he was touching my elbow. Like some really hilarious, like oldie school sexual tension narrating. So all of that stuff is happening. One of the more interesting conversations that happens though is Daphne and the Duke talk about his father. And this is a sore spot for the Duke who does not want to talk about his father. We know that his father was an absolute piece of shit and all of those things. But Daphne doesn't quite know that in the same way. And so she thinks that she's making just polite conversation with the Duke and the Duke has these like little bits of body language that to be fair to Daphne, she picks up on and immediately like backs out of the conversation. 
But then there's an interesting interaction where the Duke then kind of volunteers some information and just says rather simply like, yeah, I, I just did not, I was not on good terms with my dad. I just did not get along with him very well. And then Daphne, who at the same time is trying to get a little bit more information while leaving the conversation. Uh, I can't remember exactly what she says, but she went, goes on in what I consider the polite way. And then the Duke starts being really grumpy. And to Daphne's credit, again, she ain't putting up with any of that shit. She's like, fine, you want to be fucking grumpy, my dude? I'm out of here. And then you get the sexy touch of the wrist, the pull around, the I'm so sorry, Daphne. You know what I mean? Like the very kind of hunky, sexy thing that's happening there. But I thought that interaction was interesting for the social dynamic. Daphne's very perceptive and she's not putting up with any shit. She's just going to leave if you're going to be a jerk. So I, I really like that. The Duke is, is trying to navigate his emotions. Daphne is clearly somebody he feels comfortable telling this to, but doesn't want to tell it to anybody else as we learn later, but should knows he shouldn't be talking to Daphne about these kinds of things and that they shouldn't be getting this close. At some point in the chapter, they are called the best of companions which I also find a little bit interesting. And so this this kind of social interaction, I thought, told us a lot about the Duke, told us a lot about Daphne, and gave us a sexy kind of grab-the-wrist, turn-around, I'm-so-sorry moment. This comes up later, though, when we get another Duke. I can't remember which Duke it is. I forgot to write the name of the Duke down. But there's another Duke there, and this Duke was friends with Simon's dad, the Duke of Hastings at the time. And this Duke clearly believes that Simon was on at least reasonable terms with his dad and that he'd be excited to meet his dad's old friend. And also this guy has some letters, some some possessions, some things to pass along to Simon. And so he kind of comes up to strike a, a reasonable conversation. And Simon, who was earlier barely able to kind of figure it out with Daphne, the person he's comfortable sharing this with, completely just kind of freezes a little bit when he has to share this information with somebody that he's not as comfortable with and this is even more this is oh what's the word i keep i keep recording these podcasts being like what's the word i'm looking for this is compounded by the fact that simon still has to worry about his stutter a little bit he still has to worry that if he gets mad if he gets emotional that he won't be able to participate in the conversation the same way that he wants to and it was also fascinating that he was worried about that happening not for this dude. He's not like, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of another Duke. It was very much like, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want that to happen in front of Daphne, which is, gives us a little bit of a clue into his brain. Like, ah, yeah, he's, he's genuinely kind of in love with her, whether he acknowledges it or not. In any case, the dude is offering the letters. He's coming up. He's like, yo, I got these letters. Can I give them to you? They're from your dad. I was with him when he died, which is all the worst shit to say to Simon. And Simon, not knowing how to process any of this and not wanting to embarrass himself, fucks off outside. He's like, I'm mad at you and the world and everything. And this sucks. I'm out of here. So he storms off outside. Daphne, as socially perceptive as she is, starts to keep the peace. She starts to be like, oh, I'm so sorry for his behavior. He, he really... He, he, he really didn't mean to be that rude. And the Duke kind of knows he did mean to be that rude. He even says something like, oh, his father warned me about the Bassett pride. But the Duke offers Daphne some letters. Now, these letters are interesting because they were also in the show in some capacity. If I remember, I haven't watched season one of Bridgerton in a while, but I'm remembering the letters in the show. And so he offers these letters. And Daphne says, I'm not sure I'm the right person to receive those letters. And he says, oh, I think you might be the right person. And I can't tell if we're meant to believe like, oh, 
even from from another duke someone who's not in the game everyone else has a stake in the game this duke couldn't give a fuck who daphne marries who simon marries from someone who's pretty neutral in the the game of courting that's happening on the tawn at the moment he sees through it all and kind of sees that daphne is quite a good fit for simon in actuality i wondered what we were meant to make of that neutral perspective but anyways he offers her the letters can i have them delivered to you he says and Daphne says, I, you know, I'm not the right person, but she's going to accept them anyway. And she says, I know that Simon will kill me when he finds out that I have them, which I think is interesting. She also doesn't give an enthusiastic yes, just kind of nods, not really knowing what to do. But what I'm excited to track with these letters is in the show, in the show, I don't think she finds these letters until after they're married, which is interesting. And she kind of snoops around to find them. She's kind of, you know, she's the lady of the house now. And she snoops around the house to find the letters from the dad. She doesn't get given to them. And I don't know if there'll be a real... I don't know what the real difference is between having them given to you and snooping around... Having them giving to you and you keeping them knowing that the person will hate that you have them. I don't know what kind of social complications that creates. But I certainly don't know what that creates from snooping around. I guess what's now your own house and finding them. Is one better than the other? Does one have different consequences than the other? So I will see. I'm excited to see how this plays out as we go along, though. Amidst all of this plotting and planning and taunting and all the stuff that they're doing, the fucking Featheringtons being ditzy, all that stuff, the Duke, <laughs> the Duke has been given the moniker... The Devastating Duke, which I think is hilarious. I think it's hilarious that he's only called the Devastating Duke because one of the Featheringtons can't keep their mouths shut. Like, And like, this is the worst writing in the book so far. I just want to be clear. This part is actually like, I know these books are based on Pride and Prejudice. That is a travesty of a comparison. Pride and Prejudice is perfect. But this line in particular, most of the book so far, I'm nine chapters in, most of the book so far has been extraordinarily pleasantly delightful. But this line... That where Daphne was like, yeah, he's the devastating Duke now and he's devastating my heart. I just wanted to, I just wanted to like run into a brick wall. It's like, just end me. I cannot read that. That is unreadable. Someone read that. Julia Quinn wrote it. Then an editor read it and then probably made some notes on it. Like, yo, you can't put that in this fucking book. And then Julia Quinn was like, watch me. And then she kept it. Like, what on earth is happening there? You can't write that the devastating Duke was devastating Daphne's heart. That is not a thing you're allowed to write in a book. Daphne and Simon end up making their way onto the terrace. And throughout this whole, throughout all these interactions, it is important to know, just so I say it, um, they're they're both kind of playing at the fact that they shouldn't be doing something. Simon seems to be on the ball. Like, don't, he seems to be checking off a box. Like, she wants to go to the terrace. And he goes like, okay, we can't go to the terrace. But then when she says she's going anyway, he's like, well... I, I asked, look, I asked if she wanted to go to the terrace. And later when they go to the garden, it's very much like, well, I'm going to the garden, Simon. Fuck you. And then she leaves and he's like, well, I, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly let her go into the garden by herself. Somebody might take advantage of her, which whether or not it's a real concern is definitely the Duke just making shit up to spend more time with Daphne. So I like how he, he says what he's meant to do out loud. He's like, okay, I should not do this. And then his brain goes, what could possibly justify my doing this thing that I'm not meant to do? And then he's like, licking toes? No. Uh, not letting someone take advantage of her? Yes. And picks that option. He's like, well, can't do that. Got to go to the terrace. Got to go to the garden. Hilarious shit. But they make it to the garden. And some of my favorite writing in any book is just 
really well-written, simple stuff. I just recently reread Anna Karenina. If you have not read Anna Karenina, you probably need to read it twice to really let it sit in. It's a very large book, but it's a classic. It's one of the classics. Leo Tolstoy wrote it. It's translated, I believe it was written in the 1800s, somewhere in there. And one of my favorite chapters of that book is just one of the characters scything some grass. I'm not going to explain any more because I don't want to spoil anything about this book. But it's, it's a whole half a chapter or a chapter of just this man scything some grass. And it really goes into like how he was sweating and how he was feeling and why he was doing it and, and what it felt like each and every swing of the scythe. And well, if you write a whole book like that, it can be a little bit too much and you, you're just not progressing the story. Uh, it really helps bring into the world. And this conversation about the stars and astronomy really helps me kind of dive deep into just a nice interaction between them that wasn't overly sexual. It wasn't overly weird. It wasn't overly like, oh, should we or should we not be doing this? It was just normal. They were just standing on a terrace looking up at the stars and Simon's like, hey, did you know I've been to Africa? I've been to Africa and the stars are different there, but they're all fucked up different. They're all weird and wrong, but they're different there. And I'm not an astronomer and even I noticed. And then Daphne gets to gets a moment to say, I'm pretty happy here. I kind of like it where I'm at. And then the Duke gets to say, you know, that's great. I, I've met very few people who are truly happy. And you're like, oh, this is just cute. This is just cute. This is just fun. I'm just here for this. It's not weird. It's not anything else. It, it just is. And I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, Daphne, I find it interesting that we're learning about Daphne. That she doesn't really have too many more ambitions, right? Like she's not an Eloise character. And we haven't really met Eloise in the books, but the Eloise show character has a lot of ambition. She's like, I, or not really ambition, but like, I want to break, Daenerys Targaryen style, I want to break the wheel. Isn't it dumb? Isn't it dumb that we have to do all this shit? We have to go to the balls, that we have to marry these old men, we have to, and I agree, it's all dumb. But then there are people like Daphne who really kind of do believe in the, the, the falling in love with the handsome duke and, you know, having the happily ever after and having a large happy family. There are people like Daphne who really enjoy, like, not enjoy the process, but enjoy that outcome. Who who are like, oh man, I get to be the, I get to hang out and, and run a family household with my kids. It's going to be sick. I'm really going to love that. And so for people like Daphne to have the moment to say, like, I'm pretty happy here and I'm, I'm, it's not too bad. I have no reason to go to Africa. I have no reason to go anywhere else. As someone who I would describe, I'm pretty well traveled. I did my university education in tourism management, which just involves traveling a lot. Um, I think it's a shame that Daphne doesn't want to go anywhere, but I mean, going anywhere in the 1800s would have sucked, but I'm not sucked, but like would have been way more difficult. Maybe not for Daphne though. She's rich as hell. Anyways. I think it's a shame that she doesn't want to go travel anywhere. People should travel as much as they can, but she's just happy. And I just enjoyed that conversation. Now though, we're going to the garden. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Cause I think after this chapter, I'm about to read some fucked up smut. That's what I think is about to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So until we get there, we get to go to the garden. Daphne, 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 Daphne starts having daydreams, starts dreaming about what it would be like for Simon to kiss her. She's never kissed somebody before, and she really wants it to be the Duke. It was hard for me to decipher how much of this was pre-planning and how much of this was just guessing. Like, okay, if I go to the garden, he'll have to follow me, and then we'll just make out in the garden, right? But she wants to walk in the garden because Trowbridge Ball has a garden. Everywhere else, you got to stay on the terrace, but at Trowbridge's house, you've traveled 10 miles, you get to walk in the garden. That is the mile-to-garden ratio in the Bridgerton world. She walks into the garden and Simon delivers the warning. 
says checks it off the list like you can't do that because we can't be in there together and she just says well fucking fine i'm going by myself idiot get out of here and he's like well i can't let you do that because who on earth is going to chaperone you now at this point simon has a multitude of options he could just say hey in his head he can just be like okay i'm gonna go get colin colin was here five minutes ago and colin will go fetch daphne from the garden or at least make sure nobody is taking advantage of her you know what I mean? Uh, you, she, he can go and say, he can go find Daphne's mom. He can go find Violet and be like, oh, I know Daphne's mom is probably here. I'm going to go let them find Daphne in this garden. Right? Like, he doesn't have to be the one. But he, he knows what's happening. So he goes into the garden. And it doesn't sound like they make it very far. But there, there are these lines that are, like, very, very open-ended. They're like, oh, she had never kissed a man before. But then her lips parted and it was inevitable. They fucking smooched in this garden. We did it. Nine chapters in, Daphne and Simon have smooched in a garden, and our story is going to rev up from here. Well, I am dreading, well, I am dreading having to really read through what I am guessing are going to be some pretty terrible descriptions of smooches to come. Actually, am I dreading it? I'm pretty excited. This podcast, this podcast is a true joy. I really love doing this. So I'm pretty excited. But I don't feel confident that every smooch from here on out is going to be written to my enjoyment. And it's not a book, to be fair, it's not a book written for me to enjoy. But anyways, this was elegantly done. I thought, I thought for a first kiss, it's romantic as hell, right? It's not overdone. Daphne's not getting like this dream first kiss, but it's pretty close and she's getting to go into the garden and the Duke's there. We know, we know, we know the next chapter is going to start with somebody seeing them. But for this chapter, no one sees them. So she gets to go into the garden. Her plan gets to work. She gets to feel all real smart and charming. She gets to have the satisfaction of guessing that the Duke really was into her and that he would want to kiss her. And then the Duke gets to go into the garden and they get to smooch and it gets to be on their own terms. And there's no one else around. And I just really enjoyed it. I'm happy they smooched. I think, I think pacing wise... I think pacing-wise, I enjoyed the pacing. I felt like nine chapters and the trips to Greenwich and the dinners, I felt like we hit the smooch at the right time, and that's not easy to do. I want to give Julia Quinn some credit. I felt like nine chapters, by the end of this chapter, I was ready for the smooch. If I had read two or three more chapters without the smooch, it would have been too much courting, right? If I had read up to chapter six and they smooch, it would have been a little too quick. But I think chapter nine for the smooch is a really good pacing decision from julia quinn i felt like just as i was starting to kind of be like hey when are they gonna when are, when are things gonna pop off they popped off and they popped off in a way that is obviously gonna start next chapter with something going wrong about it and i also know from the the movie or the tv show that anthony and the duke have to duel at some point so he'll find out about it right but in this chapter it was just nice and i think that ex that's an extension from my star scene enjoyment is that the, the end of this chapter was just nice this whole chapter was just nice right it was just nice and a good introspection into the characters and some good development with colin that was really really funny a lot of levity this book if anything is just really funny and i really enjoy kind of going through it like line by line there's some lines like the devastating my heart thing that are just truly bullshit but most of this is really well done and i'm really enjoying it and and daphne getting this moment before anthony finds out about it is incredible uh, and Simon getting that moment too. This is this is someone who is emotionally locked up. He doesn't want to get married. He doesn't want to put upon others what he feels he's going to become. He he doesn't want to spread. 
not what he feels he's going to become, but what he feels his his children might become. He doesn't want to spread the the Simon seed anywhere. That's a terrible way to say that. I'm sorry. He doesn't want to have children, is what I should have fucking said. He doesn't want to have children because he doesn't want those children to be douches like his dad. And so I just think, I just think this was very very nice and lovely, and I I enjoyed it. And they smooched, and things are about to pop off. And that's going to be it for this chapter deep dive of The Duke and I. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, stay tuned. Next up, we'll have either chapter 10 or chapter 10 and chapter 11, depending on how things go. Uh, I enjoyed just diving into one chapter. So I'll, I'll pay like Julia Quinn with the nine chapter kiss. I will just pace things accordingly as I'm reading to, to see what kind of fits in my podcast, how I want to podcast about it. If you enjoyed this, though, go to the show notes, click on everything that's interesting to you at Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, all those kinds of things. Big thank you to everyone who is on Patreon and getting this at early access. I appreciate y'all very, very much. Don't forget to join the Facebook group, and please do not forget to go and uh, like this and star this and rate this wherever you can do those things on Spotify, Apple Music, those types of places. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one.